minds. And here is your host, Gary Cacciolio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Joseph Sinkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch, and you can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S, AIDA.com, and this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find Ginger at tarotbyginger.com, tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. I highly recommend her. Um, if you want to get some information um, about different topics, contact a loved one or just check it out for fun. You can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, Without further ado, our guest for today is the author of The Cybacillin Connection, Psychedelics, The Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution on the Planet. And his name, I'm not going to pronounce, try his last name, but Jahan is his first name, and he can introduce the rest of the name. Hamsazade. Thank you, Gary. Hey, thanks for coming on. Um, It's such a pleasure to be here. So what got you into psychedelics? You know, it's been an interest now for about 20 years. Uh, first took psilocybin mushrooms at age 15, had a life-changing mushroom experience at 18 that really reorganized my perception of myself and the world. Mm-hmm. And that kept throwing me to the um, direction of exploring consciousness. So I went to neuroscience first, then three years of math and physics, eventually graduated with a bachelor's in philosophy. Then I got the master's and the doctor's in consciousness. And during that time, I chose to write my dissertation on the topic of psilocybin mushrooms and while I was doing that, I did multiple different trainings on uh, psychedelics and psychedelic therapy. Mm-hmm. So it's been a fully encompassing interest for a very long time. Awesome. So where do you think, you know, when you're, in your entire book, you're talking about human evolution. Now, are mm-hmm. you starting out at possibly like the stoned ape theory? Really? That was the heart of my book, this idea that humanity emerged because of symbiotic relationship with psilocybin mushrooms, an idea first proposed by Terence and Dennis McKenna. I had come across this theory at age 19, and in almost 20 years of higher academia, it was still the best theory of human evolution I've come across. Uh, so I spent a lot of time studying the, the way evolution has worked, and I've only found more and more advancing evidence for this theory, and I have not come across a single contradiction. But where I start, this process is like the Big Bang till now. And seeing how this idea of a symbiotic relationship with other organisms, like the food we eat and the plants, mm-hmm. the fungi, and the environment, is a general pattern within the evolutionary process of all organisms. So it's, it's very much in resonance with evolution as we know it. It's just that our species has escaped this idea partly because our general perspective on substances, whether we call them drugs or psychedelic plants that actually have been used by indigenous traditions around the world for millennia. And so a huge part, part, like a couple chapters focus on early human evolution, including primate developments. We're about for 50 million years, we were primates and about four to five million years, we were the Africa savannas. And that's where physiology, our brain and our consciousness really developed to give us the hardware and this perspective and capacities that we have now. Hmm. So if we started taking 
mushrooms in developing our consciousness, how did that alter our DNA and, and yeah. get passed on into the future generations and continue to evolve in that direction? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the ways to important focus just on DNA. Um, there's a concept known as an epigenetics, meaning genetics just beyond just the hardware being passed with DNA. For example, it's easy for more people to understand how trauma gets passed down intergenerationally. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can imagine somebody's grandparents or great grandparents were in the Holocaust, that level of trauma stays down through the generations. So we can definitely see just even our body is shaped by traumas in the environment or, you know, by positive things. So I don't think it's too hard then to say that also positive attributes can be passed down genetically. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we've are you know, ancestors had these huge creative experiences, spiritual insights, development of language and empathy. I mean, if anybody here has taken a psychedelic in a decent amount, it reorganizes everything for three to four hours. It's, it's huge. It's paramount. And the idea is that our ancestor did that many, many times over each lifetime, over thousands of generations. Right. Mm -hmm. And we know now, thanks for the science of the last uh, 10 years, that psilocybin stimulates what's known as neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons. The brain physically begins to grow. So incrementally, this had been doing generation to generation, leaving us with the brains we have now, but also these humans capacity, which includes creativity and a high level of empathy. Interesting. So our ancestors, before they started making mushrooms, were they still spiritual meaning beings or did they become spiritual mm. beings or, or were they always spiritual beings and didn't become aware of that fact until they started taking the mushrooms? That la latter, uh, we're all spiritual beings, like mm. every human matter itself, the planets, yeah. you know, rocks, animals, it's all there. It's a, it's a deep part of our very essence. It comes out of this larger consciousness. The difference is now that we had direct spiritual experiences, this boundary disillusion of the ego kind of falling away and having this sense of interconnection and unity with everything, which is kind of, I give like the apex of spirituality that we're all deeply connected and we're all made of love. So we, they had started having these actual experiences. And with these actual experiences, then came mythologies, philosophical insights, and eventually the emergence of religion to make sense. So we started developing rituals around these psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. Not only did our ancestors just do that, but we still see that happening today, you know, with a lot of indigenous communities with the plants and fungi in the environment, because mm -hmm. they tend to be such a high level experience that they start taking it very seriously and creating containers around the, these experiences, hence rituals. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting too, you talk about the interconnectedness. I was watching a movie not that long ago about, long ago about mushrooms and fungi and how, how they all communicate with each other. They have their own network of, of fungi that, that carry a signal and they can talk to, you know, any other fungi in the forest. So in a way, we're kind of emulating the mushroom. Totally. A hundred percent. I'm assuming the documentary you saw was called Fantastic Fungi. It's like the big popular one. I Paul think Stamets. It, yeah. Sure. yeah, it's it's a beautiful, good cinematography, amazing visuals. And Paul Stamets has been the forefront leader in mycology, really kind of bringing awareness around uh, fungi and how it affects our biosphere. But just, I think it's easy for people to ask, how can a drug or substance or plant do this? And then we have to go really see what fungi really are. Because we're normally just look at the cap and stem formation, the actual right. little mushroom that's the fruit of a larger body. It's like looking at an apple and being like, you know, how did this get here? You're missing the tree and the root system and everything. So the fungi itself grows from this large living web underground. 
um, my, called mycelium, and mycelium is actually the largest living organisms on the planet. So, you know, some, some stretching miles. It's crazy. I've never even heard yeah. of it until I watched that movie. Totally. No, yeah, totally. Mycelium, there's three large kingdoms, right? There's the animal kingdom, uh, there's the plant kingdom, there's the fungi kingdom, and then there's other a couple multicellular, very small kingdoms. And so the fungi kingdom evolved 2.5 billion years ago. The animal kingdom, 500 million. So it's five times older than all animals. And so it creates this large underground net that connects all the root systems in the environment. Actually, was, they were the first root systems. So we've been evolving on top of this living net that sends electrical impulses like an internet, creating this interconnection between all of nature. And out of that web that we've been a part of comes the mushroom with psilocybin mushrooms. Yeah, there was psilocybin that fits in the 5-HT2A serotonin receptors in a brain better than serotonin itself. So when we bring in the very large evolutionary context and all the deep intelligence evolves, we finally begin to make sense and really understand why such a compound has a huge effect on our consciousness. Wow. And then later on, like you said, it led to you know the mythologies, to the rituals, and, and now even may venture into discovery of the sciences. All of it. Yeah, no, totally. If it really was what spurred brain development and, and cognitive intelligence, which, you know, if people look at my book, I bring out research after research that really supports this, it will continue to do that. And there's good other works that support this idea around cognitive enhancements. Another big one's called The Stealing Fire. Mm-hmm. And it shows how altered states um, have produced peak performance in many areas, including for athletes, for science, for arts. Um, I have an entire section on, in my book on philosophy and science, how big like leading scientists, including those that have won the Nobel Prize, uh, give credit to their psychedelic experiences for their insights. So as we incorporate these more, not only are we going to develop more in terms of creativity, but I think we can solve a large, lot of the large crises we have, whether it be political engineering crises, um, new tools that might reorganize humanity in a big way. One of the things that that's definitely different, like like when I was young, like the, I think the first time, or first time I did mushrooms, I was at a Black Sabbath concert. Nice, <laughs> you know, and, and of course I made the mistake of having to drive home too <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> you know, and but but now like like people look at this uh, when you, when you go to use psychedelics, they look at things like set and setting, and and intention, you know, like all, all, all those mm-hmm. factors come in now when people are doing it, they make more of a, you know, it's more of a ritual rather than like when I was a kid, I was just trying to escape myself. I was trying to blow my mind, you know, but mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it still gave me that idea of like, wow, there's maybe more than one reality. You know, it did do that, but I didn't do it with an intention. And um, so, so what are the differences like between like using it with, with intention and without intention? Yeah, you know, I feel there's been such a huge emphasis on set and setting because when they came into the Western civilization during the '60s and the '70s and so on, we had no context for these, and so people took them very much, mostly recreationally, as a drug to get high, without understanding the potency of these medicines. So traditionally, when these are done in other mm-hmm. societies that have been having a relationship with them for millennia, there's a, always a container. You're taught about these medicines ahead of time. It's passed down through a lineage, so your elders are there. There might be three generations of your family there having the ceremony with you, right? right. And so as Michael Pullen writes in his bestseller, How to Change Your Mind on Psychedelics, he says during the 60s, what other point in human history did the young have such a searing rite of passage 
that the prior generation didn't understand. So without the set and setting and container, you're putting yourselves at risk, but the other generation got really scared and kind of pushed to make psychedelics illegal. So the set and setting, first and foremost, I think makes us take it seriously and to plan and prepare to have the most effect out of the experience, but also safety. I mean, these experiences can be very mm-hmm. emotionally and physically vulnerable. You know, so mindset is set, you know, come in with a clear mind, do whatever you need to do to be clear, do any research, whatever prep work to, to come in and be really open to the experience. I'm not, I think we have to come in intentionally, but not very set on an intention, meaning we're focused on a goal. Because the people can get caught up in that and miss the rest of the fucking magic, yeah. right? So, but it's nice to come in intentionally, like with a high level of respect and responsibility. And then setting is just be be really aware of the space you're in. That's a huge factor. If you're doing this somewhere unsafe, it can go really south and you can put yourself and other people at risk. So have a good environment that's peaceful, that relaxed, safety being the, the highest paramount. And then design the journey somewhat. Have good music. If you're going to have good people, you know, have them around. Or work with a guide or a therapist or somebody that's playing the facilitator like a shaman. Somebody that knows the territory can likely take you deeper than you could take yourself. Mm. Yeah. Now, one of the first places I think I came across the idea of this was these um, the Don Juan books. Have you ever yeah. checked those out? Three of them, yeah. I never finished the whole series, but they're good. Yeah, they were interesting. You know, I think he was doing peyote. It wasn't I don't know what he or no, he did quite a few. He did mushrooms at the end. Did he? I think there was tobacco. There was definitely peyote, Jimson uh, weed. It was. I think he it had a huge impact for those who aren't familiar with the the Carlos Castaneda's books. Don Juan, I think, really popularized for culture um, what shamanism could look like. You know, it's from an anthropologist perspective of actually going through and becoming like a, a understudy of of a you know. A, a shaman and so i think they were very influential for a lot of people in the west and it brought this kind of idea that there's a larger separate reality that we can engage with because yes. of the use of these plants in this perspective yeah there's they're really 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 interesting books um so how do you think that 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 now where we're at with the psychedelics and cybercillion and what we know about the psychedelics, how they work in our mind, how they attach to the receptors, you know, how they can help heal. Where do we go f- f- now? Like, like now, just a push for legalization, obviously. But once it gets legalized, which I think it will, uh, along with cannabis, um, how will how how do we use it? Like, what do we do with it? There's so many fronts in which it's going to continue to unfold, right? So mm-hmm. there's the decriminalization that allows more kind of local settings, uh, like medicine ceremonies and guides to take place. There's the recreational front with like large level festivals that create some level of um, a container for this. Um, there's, well, let me say, there's endless fronts that we haven't even yet discovered, but definitely the one that's most exciting that we're waiting for is federal legalization. Which, talking to one of the two companies, USONA, that's been leading edge on this, it looks like two years from now is projected legalization. And it's huge. Um, I think once we get the establishment to give approval, like the law and the government, everything changes very fast. So you have a huge portion of humanity that doesn't do things if they're illegal. Because it's either a moral issue for them or they're scared. And so that's half the population, probably, right? Roughly, that now is going to be open to this. We saw this with cannabis. It's illegal. A lot of people don't touch it. 
once it's legal, all these grandparents and parents, I would never do it before are doing it. So it changes the viewpoint around safety and morality because mm-hmm. now it's come to conventional acceptance. So that's around the corner. Because it's the most effective form of therapy we've come across, and I'm not saying that lightly, it's pretty conclusive through now decades of research, right? It's 80% effective for treatment-resistant depression. People, treatment-resistant means they've already tried all the other therapies and the medicines and it hasn't worked. It's 80% effective for that population. Helps with anxiety, including near the end of life anxiety. It's the highest treatment for alcoholism and nicotine addiction, right? And that's all in terms of healing. We found 65% of people in the right setting setting have a mystical experience. The teens to correlate with healing. I mean, people tend to put it as the top three most important experiences of their life. Sometimes after a 20-year follow-up, these are huge. So whether you're, you're feeling um, mental illness or if you're actually really, really healthy, it's still beneficial. So once it gets public approval and because it's so effective, there will likely be a psychedelic psychotherapy clinic in every city or town in the United States. Wow. Because it's far more effective than any other form of therapy. Uh, every week I hear of new psychedelic training opening up. I mean, a few years ago, there's only one or two. And now it's, it's nonstop. So therapists everywhere are rushing to get trained. There's a lot of finances backing it up. A lot of people want to open clinics. Everybody's just waiting for this threshold of legalization to occur. Two years from now, that's not a lot. And it will take time for it to become accessible. Right now, it looks with MDMA uh, p- therapy for PTSD. It's going to cost about twelve to $15,000, and that includes three treatments. That's a lot for a lot of people. Yeah. It'll take a while to get insurance on board and get the prices to drop as the supply becomes larger than the demand. Because right now, the demand is a lot high larger than the supply. So it won't be accessible to everybody right away, but it's going to take a while to build the infrastructure. And as that takes place, more and more people can come in, you know, safely experience these medicines in a clinical setting if they desire. Hmm. I mean, all the things that the... You know, I mean, mushrooms are pretty easy to just go out in the cow pasture and pick them. Totally. So what I love about these medicines is, especially mushrooms, it's a, there are many reasons I focused on that one. It's very accessible worldwide. Over 200 different species of psilocybin mushrooms around the world. If you just spend a few hours, you can learn how to grow them. You're right. There's a lot of great websites. My friend Seth Warner on his website, um, mycorisingfungi.com. For a hundred bucks, he, he developed a really deep program, five hours long, teaching you how to grow psilocybin mushrooms. And he'll even tell you the grow kit, right? So it's not like LSD. You have to wait for a lab or MDMA or a lot of the other medicines are like peyote and ayahuasca only grow in certain regions and mm-hmm. it would take it away from other populations. Psilocybin mushrooms is fairly found around the world. With six weeks, you can grow them. So yes. So there's the problem of actually, accessibility to the medicine itself that we'll work on and and people in oakland are now trying to starting to sell them in shops and people in san francisco are selling them in shops and people will keep pushing that the other part is creating safe containers like having trained individuals like you could do them by yourself Mm -hmm. it can be amazing or it can be traumatic partly depending on dosage right but it could be a lot more effective if you're in a situation like a place designed for this you know and with somebody that's really skilled so yeah yeah, it's going to be multiple of having the right kind of container, including a, a professional, and access to the medicine itself. The drug companies are not going to be happy about this. Oh, no, they've been – I think, I mean, you just nailed why hasn't it been legal yet. There's a shitload of money. It's very effective, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the science was pretty conclusive in the, in the 60s. Uh, if they could have patented this, it would have been legal already. And there's companies pushing really hard to patent anything they can in this area. So including, well, if we administer the psilocybin in this very particular way, then I could patent it and nobody else can do it. So they're, they're trying to do whatever they can. Um, 
what I've seen, and I think more research will be done soon, it's far more effective than SSRIs, which is you know billions of dollars industry. Brutal. They're horrible. People get hooked. They get hooked for years. You're addicted to them. Your body goes into withdrawal without them. Mm -hmm. They're they're effective for a small amount of people. Meaning, if you want to kill yourself fucking tomorrow, get on an SSRI and kind of it numbs you out. And sometimes you need to be numbed out. But you don't want to be numbed out for 20 years. And they're kind of set up to keep you numbed out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, there's times you're going to have surgery, you get numbed out, but you don't want to be numbed out for the next 12, 13, 15 days. And so, partly because we have to know how to address these psychological, emotional issues. And this gets to the root of it. So, what I've seen, I've seen a lot of people get off of SSRIs once they're working with psilocybin. You know, this it's effective for about 80, 90% of the population. It's not 100% of people, mm-hmm. but it's much more effective than any other medication and treatment I've seen out there. The person who uses psilocybin instead of an SSRI, like, do they have to use it consistently or they just have to use it once in a therapeutic way? It yeah. rearranges the brain. You come out of your experience and you're just like, you're well, yeah. you're cured yeah. rather than if being I treated. A, totally. If I had to give a statement is use it as needed. And that's going to be different not only for each person, but for each moment. Right, so you might want to do two full journeys every, maybe three to four journeys a year is a good amount. You might want to do it just once. I've seen people have life-changing experiences dramatically after one, like meaning getting out of years of depression. Mm-hmm. That being said, people want to keep healing, and growing. So why not go back again if it's helpful? You don't need to, but you'd get a lot out of it. And with microdosing, taking small amounts daily, again, use it as needed. It doesn't. Like SSRIs need to build up in your system for two to three weeks to even be effective. Right. Psilocybin is right away. It's instantaneous. And so you could take it as needed. That being said, having a regiment could be helpful. You know, five days a week could be fine. Uh, because it's, there's no toxicity, it's, it's more of an art. Right. You're more attuning to what your body's needing in each moment. Is it true that the psilocybin actually only stays in your brain for like 10 minutes and then afterwards it's gone, and it's almost like the after effects that cause the healing? Well said, yeah. It seems to be 76% of the psilocybin leaves your body within three hours. The journey lasts about four, but it's such a big experience that the experience itself lingers. I mean, I talk to people all the time. Days later, weeks later, they're still having a deep state of peace. But that's because they actually cleared trauma and, and, and healed in a very at the root of it, mm-hmm. so they feel different. So... uh you're not high the next day, but you might be so impacted by the actual experience that you're stay, maybe still in the state of awe and reflection. Hmm. So, so it almost sounds like, too, that the psilocybin works on two levels. It works on a psychological level, and then it also works on a receptor level to help heal a person. Absolutely, and they're both very connected. You change something in the brain, it changes the experience. You change somebody's experience, it changes the brain. So what we do know, it's, it quiets what's called the default mode network in the brain, the, the, the part where scientists call the ego part of the self, meaning if you think me, 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 I, 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 the specific network lights up. And it's overdeveloped with people with anxiety and depression. Well, that network quiets down with the use of psilocybin, and then it creates a hyper-connected brain state. So this ego voice was acting as a repressive function for our whole psyche. Once a whole brain hyper-connects, People experience this deeper sense of unity, a deeper connection with themselves, mm-hmm. each other, and the world. So it does both. And so much of our pain comes from this feeling of feeling fragmented and not belonging and rejected and feeling othered from humanity and the world. So once you have this deep sense of like, I'm one with everything, 
that's just a statement, but if you actually experience that, it psychologically changes everything. You feel safe now. You feel self-esteem. You feel belonging. You feel there's a sense of purpose to my life. Like everything reorganizes with just that one single experience that can possibly be offered with psilocybin. What is the benefit of you using psilocybin rather than cannabis? Because cannabis also does sort of create a break between the personality and the ego. Oh, great question. I think there's a lot of great plants and fungi out there that are very effective. I mean, there's a great whole class and families of psychedelics themselves. And they all offer different things. Um, my experience of cannabis, which I love and I think it's a good medicine for humanity when needed, is it doesn't go as deep. It just it, it doesn't. I mean, psilocybin is a very different compound and has very much different effects in the brain and hits different receptor sites. Uh, just like we take so many medications to treat different illnesses, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same with different psychedelics for the most part. Some are just better at, like, at focusing on addiction. Psilocybin, though, as far as I can tell, hits the whole spectrum. Because it creates a state of wholeness and heals that fragmentation. That's why we feel anxious and depressed and not enough because we feel fragmented. Um, again, it hyperconnects the brain. So if any parts became disconnected, which creates a state of feeling of disconnected, it heals that. It can get right to the root of childhood trauma pretty quickly. I've seen people stop drinking overnight, you know, while there's also the potential for large spiritual experiences and a shift in identity. Yes, marijuana. I mean, it's it's like we're talking about different colors in the spectrum. It's just, it's it's still kind of a psychedelic. It's still boundary dissolving. It softens us, but I I can't. I don't think it gets to the root of our issues. As as amazing as a plant can be for rest and rejuvenation and art and becoming more sensitive in a good way while we're here being human. Hmm. Um, how does this? So, like, once we start moving, like, like, like past the trauma and the healing and into the spiritual realm you know and, and that is one of the things too that this has been used for for thousands of years is for shamans using it to connect to the great spirit or the ancestors or, or whatever nature um how, how's that going to I mean, if we go back to, to doing that we're going to evolve spiritually and maybe as a culture, become more kind and loving towards each other. I mean, psychedelics give me a greater hope for humanity mm-hmm. than anything else, you know. And I, I would argue we're out of balance with the planet and each other and ourselves because we haven't been utilizing the psychedelics that naturally grow in almost every ecosystem. So I think it's a way nature regulates organisms, especially those with a higher level of consciousness. And when we think what is spirituality, you think of terms of like loving, kind, expanded awareness, interconnectivity, which are all things that make our lives better and make the whole thing more sustainable. So the answer is yes. You know, I think we became spiritual because of them first. We fell away from that in an actual direct experience. So we started following books and mythologies and rituals and just ideas. And we lost connection with the actual deep experience of it. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's finally re- re-entering our collective in a way that it's never happened before. Well, you know, that's one of the reasons I like Buddhism and meditation because it's about direct experience. Mm-hmm. You know, all, a lot of the other religions are about other people having their experience and then mm-hmm. sharing it with you and telling you that it's true. Right. Not totally here. It's You no longer have to move necessarily on faith and give your faith to somebody else, somebody that died two millennia ago or some priests or a guru all that can go out the window. It's right here. It's, it's so much more aligned with the like science and the scientific method. I'm like, here's a method. Try it out. Mm-hmm. 
there's a likelihood you're going to get similar results. You know, as I shared, this has been happening for decades and 65% of people have a mystical experience. It's a pretty high amount. These are kind of experiments, experiences like you're lucky if you ever get once in your life or that might take you years or decades of meditation, right? right? Or like a lifetime of prayer just to have this dissolving and insight into everything in unity, not just in your ideas, but your being actually opens up. Here, if you do everything right, mm -hmm. you might get it in the first shot. I've seen that, right? It might take you five or six shots, but that's a small amount of time for something that can be utterly life-transforming. Can it do harm to someone? Like, say, you know, like, like for example, I have epilepsy, so my, my brain chemistry is a little fragile. Do you think that, that doing cybacillin would be a safe option for me? Yeah, great question. One response is, yes, it, it can do harm um, for a variety of reasons, and we want to gauge that, but... As far as the research shows, it doesn't necessarily have to lead to physiological harm. Mm -hmm. So it does increase your blood pressure a little bit, possibly because you're in a heightened intense state. I don't even think it does it as much as caffeine does. So if you have heart conditions, you know, it's still possible to use. But l let's look at it because it might increase your heart rate. I haven't – there hasn't been work done with like epilepsy, for an example. But it does rep seem to repair new nerve cells. So it could possibly be helpful. Hmm. Um, where it can be harmful is you are in a vulnerable state. You know, just in terms of physiology, if you take a high amount, you probably can't move around a whole lot for four hours. That's a vulnerable position to be in, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to be in a very safe place with people you trust maybe that are taking care of you. You may be very emotionally vulnerable. So if somebody's being kind of emotionally abusive, that can cut in a lot deeper because your egoic defense armor isn't there, right? Mm -hmm. You might believe shit that's not real and act it out, and that can have life-changing impact. You know, this is a – just to share some examples that are kind of more extreme, you might think somebody's the devil and you have to kill them. That's pretty harsh and intense, right? You might think you're God and so you can do everything. You can't die and all of a sudden you want to go out the car and just run down the street, right? These are possibilities. You know, I've seen somewhat of the different variations of these things happen. That's why having somebody there to take care of you is a game-changer. Just to remind you what's going on, to calm you down, to keep you safe. You know, they're, they're like a babysitter in one way, right. as long as being a professional. Because you might be in baby mode, right? Um, you might be really locked into the magical thinking. There's times where you can get where you really believe you're dying. And the ego death experience is a very normal archetypal experience when it comes to psychedelics. And it could lead to massive transformation. You think you're dying, you stay with it, you psychologically die, and then you're reborn in a whole new way and everything changes and it can be very healthy and impactful. That being said, you might get stuck in that loop that you actually think you're dying and scared for five hours and that could be traumatic. So yes, there are possible harmful situations that can really be mitigated by the whole idea of set and setting. Mm -hmm. right? And it'll set and right set and setting, it's been almost pretty much just positive with no downsides. So that's why we have to look at these and use them very carefully. Is it better to use them out in nature? It's a good. It seems to have a deep connection with nature. You know, I hold psilocybin mushrooms legally in Jamaica with Ottoman retreats. And what we do out there, and it, we, have, we have a big beach and everything available to us, a private resort. But what also what we've done and also the, the studies have been doing is people taking them with a blindfold. So the experience is really internal. And so even with 
the experience being inside, one of those common things people see is deep scenes of nature. They're all of a sudden becoming a part of the tree, seeing the rainforest, seeing the sun, seeing the whole planet evolve, right? So there's a deep connection between this experience and nature. Mm-hmm. If you take them out in nature, that can be beautiful and healing. It's been some of my best experiences, right? So I think there's a deep possibility that can be very expansive. That being said, we also want safety, right? We need a safe container. And because it's also coming around a therapy, they've done more in situations where people can be in a controlled environment, right? So it's this thing of like, well, they can be done in nature. Is there somebody taking care of everybody? And is a natural landscape in which we're taking this, is it safe? Yeah. I think if I were to do it, I'd want to be outside in nature. Yeah. It's, it's nice to have. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I think as we move forward and different kinds of clinics and therapy centers evolve, that a lot of them will offer an outdoor setting. Most people come in because they're doing deep trauma work. They're in a shitload of pain. And we're there to focus on their trauma and do therapy, right? Like they've been abused. There's there's some level, they've been raped. They've gone to war. There's a high level things. And so we're there to focus on that. That being said, if it's not there to do deep therapy, but they want this expansive awareness of being interconnected with everything and because there's not some deep wound that's at the forefront, then in those cases, it might be nice to take them outside and see the plants in the sky. <laughs> some of the people that I've interviewed who have had these experiences, especially the interconnectedness um, experiences, when they come out, sometimes they have more heightened intuition and psychic abilities. Yeah. Do, do you believe that is that is an actual effect from the cybacillin mushroom? Highly, you know, to be transparent, it's been very true in my life, and I've seen it in many individuals increase of uh, intuition, empathy, synchronicities. Even if we're using a concept like intuition, I mean, it's coming. The, the frame of mind is that everything is deeply interconnected, also internally. You know, we know this systemically when it comes to ecology, everything's interconnected, right? Science is pretty, you know, firm about this, but our minds and our hearts are deeply interconnected. Ultimately, we're one being. Right. So there's a place with us that we're all sharing thoughts mm-hmm. unconsciously. E- even Carl Jung, the great psychologist, was like, there's a collective unconscious. There's this wellspring of a psychic wellspring from which all our thoughts and our dreams arise. And so if we dissolve and come more to this interconnection and see that as our truth and experience it, then there might be more access to say, intuition, meaning either I know what somebody else is thinking and I can have more empathy like tele-empathetic situations with what's going on with them or maybe possible future situations there's more awareness and insight you know i'd say expanded awareness which includes something like intuition um is one of the main characteristics you know of the psychedelic experience well at first like i remember like when i was a kid you know one of the things that my parents would always warn me about especially with one of my drugs that i actually liked which was angel dust <laughs> was like <laughs> You might not come down off that shit. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I haven't got to try that compound. You know, I think it kind of went away with another it did. generation. It went away yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> and, and I mean, I've only seen some videos and it could be, you know, people seem to feel like they're full of strength, like the Hulk. And so I don't know too much about that compound and the effect. But when it comes to psychedelics like psilocybin, it lasts four hours, right? Um, and that's one of the big fears people have going in. I mean, I've got into the states you know as terence mckenna the philosopher would say like i've done it this time i've gotten too high this time now i'm permanently changed forever in a way that like i've lost my capabilities and hold on reality so you can get locked into those ideas Mm -hmm. and they can be really real for an hour or two but the compound leaves your body and your consciousness comes back to its original form 
So you're always going to be coming down from psilocybin. So you always come back to normal. Yeah, you might be a little is. changed, and sometimes in a better way, you know. But your your brain physiology, for the most part, comes back. Mm-hmm. If there's small changes, they're very incremental. Um, you're not going to be stuck in some altered state. How about having a connection with the actual spirit of the plant? Yeah, a good topic. Um, you know, a lot of indigenous communities would see these as. Uh, plant masters, teachers, right? You're coming to learn wisdom. And so you build a lifelong relationship with them. You're in relationship with them even when you're not taking them. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just in more communion with them. And there's a lot of experiences of downloads. With the mushrooms themselves, there's been a good amount of studies. Um, I think his name's Horace Grant, Horace Grace at CIS. He did his dissertation on um, psilocybin and auditory voices. But Terrence McKenna, the great philosopher, also shared that there's more experience of listening to a voice that interacts with you on psilocybin than other compounds. And you can have people, you know, communicate with ayahuasca as a spirit and so on. But there seems to be a living intelligence in the psychedelic states. And with psilocybin, it's a little bit more palpable. So you're forming a direct relationship with it. You know, I think it is correct to see them as beings. And, you know, the great indigenous perspectives mm-hmm. that was also there at the beginning of humanity, because we all came from our tribal backgrounds, was animism. This paradigm that everything is alive and has consciousness and everything has spirits. And that's why, you know, they have a relationship with the sky, their relationship with the plants. It's more of a relational, interconnected perspective of the world. And I think that perspective opens up itself organically once we start venturing venturing more and more into psychedelic states. So we're kind of merging with that plant when we're ingesting it. Because those compounds are, are connecting to our receptors, changing our reality. And then they leave us changed. So when they leave us changed, in a way, we're absorbing some of that spirit mm-hmm. or energy from that plant mm-hmm. and keeping it with mm-hmm. us for the rest of our lives. No, totally. I think this roots back down to the evolutionary science using the term symbiosis, the merging of two organisms into this kind of mm-hmm. interdependent relationship. And there's great work done uh, showcasing that perhaps the beginning and the birth and origins of all species come from what's termed symbiogenesis. It's the emerging of two organisms in a certain kind of way that births new species, right? And so this case, we're talking about something that's very affects consciousness and creates consciousness expansion, and then that led to a, a consciousness expansion in our species. And we see it with fruits. Fruits are super symbiotic. They grow seeds inside so that mammals eat them and take those seeds to other places. All the plants and fungi form this symbiotic union with each other. For example, 90% of plants have a symbiotic relationship with fungi, mycelium. 90%. 80% of them would stop existing if mycelium stopped existing. They're that intertwined. Mm. We're in symbiotic relationship with all the plants and fungi. If, if you wiped out fungi, all the plants die, we all die. You wipe out the plants, we all die. We depend on it for oxygen and for food, right? We're already in this deep ecological relationship. We're just stating that so is our consciousness. Wow. It's such an obvious thing, you know. It's like it's like like so obvious that our consciousness and our well being would be connected to this, but yet we've ignored it and Mm -hmm. continue Mm -hmm. to destroy the planet. It's such a big idea that it takes a while for us to chew on it, and it looks like how did we miss this? It's so apparent. But because we've missed it and it seems so apparent, people are like, well, that must be true or else somebody would already have thought about this. But the truth is Western culture at large didn't have awareness of psychedelics really until the 1950s and 60s. Mm -hmm. So we missed it completely. We didn't know how to bring this anomaly into the picture, you know, and then we made it illegal for about 30 years. 
right? So it's going to take a while for to really see the impact of these medicines can have and have had throughout human history. Well, will regular physicians start subscri- uh, prescribing this? Yeah, no, that's around the corner. You know, they'll be prescribed, but then they'll be taken at a clinic with professionals. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the, you know, with both MDMA when it comes to PTSD and, and psilocybin when it comes to depression of, and your end of life anxiety. Yes, they can be prescribed. You're going to go to a center, probably be there for 24 hours while you go through the experience and you're going to be monitored. So that's around the corner. But I think there's going to be a lot of other things that we can't foresee, like microdoses. Right. So right now, you know, I don't think pharmacies can make a whole lot because it's not patent. If they can find a way to patent things and it's more effective than most SSRIs, then taking small amount of psilocybin each day, you know, could be very effective. That being said, you could do that yourself for, you know, a small percentage of the cost, you know, three to five percent of what you're going to pay for the for them to do it. You could mm-hmm. do it yourself. So it might be something on a grassroots level that has to be taken up. You know, there's already classes, workshops and so on. Uh, we're going to have to not give our medical awareness to the same medical infrastructure as we've been doing for decades and kind of take that back because I think we've been abused when it comes to, you know, uh, painkillers and antidepressants, yes. you know, for they've made huge profits, lo- huge loss of human lives. I think over 500,000 people have died just from oxytocin alone, uh, oxycotton alone, right? So we've got to reclaim our power, you know, do our own research. But I think there's going to be more and more awareness coming around around these molecules. Mm. So, so do you think this will end the war on drugs? Yeah, I mean, it, there should never have been a war, right? It's a war against nature. It's a war against our consciousness. We should have the freedom to change our consciousness. It's a given as long as we're not hurting somebody else. By creating the war of drugs, you created a large underground infrastructure of, say, drug smugglers, dealers, the whole kind of cocaine cartel i mean you gave power to underground mafias and gang leaders by making something illegal right now they creating a whole market because we're gonna change our consciousness that's gonna happen right and so if you want to make everything safer for everybody including all the killing and the, and the dirty money yes you make it legal do you think the reason that they made it illegal because if they, they knew it was legal people would expand their consciousness and then start not realizing that they don't need people in power <laughs> You know, I think that's a line of thinking. And uh, when it came down to the actual reasons they did it within our government, it seems there's a lot of propaganda by the Nixon administration that a lot of people that were taking psychedelics were against the Vietnam War. And so they're losing massive political power, you know, and there's also a lot of uh, a way to come at the activists and also to come at different minorities. You know, they, they made marijuana illegal to come at the blacks and the Mexicans because they couldn't otherwise. It'd be racial, but they know they're smoking it, so now we can come at them. And there's a way to crack down on the activists because they're taking psychedelics, right? Um, I don't think it was as aware or conscientious that, like, hey, there wasn't this huge mindset of, like, we're doing this to maintain power. I think because the whole population got involved. I think it was largely out of fear and not understanding. Because even if the government and Nixon thought that, I mean, there wasn't enough awareness across the entire population that they hadn't been reading the research of how amazing this could be for everybody. Um, so I think there was a more, it was more based on ignorance mm-hmm. than malice intention, even though there was some amount of malice intention. Are there psychedelics out there that you would not recommend for people to take? I don't think any psychedelic it should be used, you say, 100% of the time. Like... You know, some of the stuff we screen out is, 
borderline personality and schizophrenia, right? Because, and I think it could still be useful for them, but they would need a certain kind of support and help and infrastructure. Like if they were able to go to a clinic and have support by multiple people for a week, it might be really useful at healing their psyche. But we haven't had the infrastructure for that, right? Well, what I'm thinking is like, just... like what any type like, like you know mushrooms versus ayahuasca versus jimson weed. Mm. They do have a different safety profile, you know. I think say uh, jimson weed can be much more toxic, right? Um, there's a class of family called the tryptamines, which includes DMT. That's an ayahuasca. It has psilocybin, LSD, five MeO DMT. And they can have a low-level biotoxicity, meaning they're physiologically safe. Mm -hmm. That being said, done in the wrong way can be also very traumatic emotionally, right? And so you do want to do them in the right setting, and also you want the right level of dosage. There's other compounds like MDMA. That's a phenethylamine and it includes other stuff like mescaline. That I think the toxic dose is like 9 or 10 doses. You know, I think the LD50 is like 18 doses, meaning a lethal dose for half the population. While for something like psilocybin, it's like theoretically a thousand. So, so wow. high level of safety compared to psilocybin, compared to other things. Mm. That being said, in small amounts, it's all okay. I, uh, set and setting matters so much more than the actual substance. I think this, the insights are going to be the same across the board because mm -hmm. we're sharing the same reality and we're working the same structure of consciousness. So this experience of unity, there's a infinite ways to experience unity. It's, it's that big. We're talking about the universe here, right? And there's so many flavors. And so each substance can give you a different flavor of unity. Right. You know, one with the mountains, one with God, one with the solar system, one with your lover, one with your body. And there's so many ways to experience just that. And so... Part of me is like, try them all, just do it responsibly and safely. Hmm. I've always been a little afraid of Jimson weed. I haven't done it for the same reasons. I don't know if I need to. <laughs> it's just like the risk goes up so much for what you're getting, mm -hmm. and I can get a lot more of that, what I'm looking for, with all the other substances. It grows everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just... <laughs> Both psychological and physical safety, I, I just uh, I don't think it's a necessary risk. You know, just take all the other compounds, like so many other ones that are much safer and could probably get have more of an impact. How about toad licking? Yeah, so the toad, the buffalo virus, Colorado River toad, grows on its glands what's known as 5-MeO-DMT. People put it as at the apex of psychedelic experiences, and it's known as the God molecule. Hmm. We've synthesized it now, so you can use a synthetic version. But it kind of gives people this experience, and it's, it's a trip to me, just like psilocybin, this experience of dissolving into light and oneness. So before that, like DMT itself without the 5-MeO can give the experience of a lot of forms. Like you see dragons, geometry, a lot of shapes. You're still in this kind of world of dualism that you see. I don't want to say there, there's characteristics to it. You know, while, say, Buddhists and Hindus say the highest level is non-dualism where everything's just one. Mm -hmm. There's no longer differences or shapes. This shoots you out there to, like, you are love and light. And that's the absolute truth, that underneath everything is love and light. And that's the actual reality. So it breaks past form and all the differences and separation and gets you right there. It's so dose-dependent. You could do it gradually mm -hmm. or you can be shot out, which can be kind of not just dramatic, but could be traumatic. Hmm. So before we came on to do this episode, you know, I was telling you about my previous guests. We were talking about tantric sex, yeah. and, and you were like, "Hey, I have some experience in that." Can 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 the two things be combined, psychedelics and tantric? Yeah, I think it's a 
a great intersection that I want to spend a lot more time on. I've given, I think this year, three talks to different trainings on uh, sex and psychedelics. I think one route, I think uh, psychedelics are very helpful for healing sexual trauma and about one of four people has sexual trauma. Um, so I've been quite deep into different kinds of Tantra and I really kind of believe in the philosophy that we're inherently sexual beings in a very spiritual way. You know, your body comes from sexual energy. It's a unity of some level of masculine mm-hmm. and feminine that gave birth and created this. But I'd say the energy runs from the Big Bang till now. It's a deep part of our essence and it's very healing, helps us feel confidence, safe, enjoyment, pleasure, all these things. And as I've gone to deep mystical states with psychedelics and other routes like breathing, meditation, I felt like this huge kind of orgasmic force in my body. So they're very much tied. And so a big thing that these two fields have together, whether it's kind of tantric sexuality and psychedelics, is that they're boundary dissolving. You're trying to dissolve this egoic structure and move into greater unity. Tantra focuses moving to greater unity with another, right, with the lover, which is deeply meaningful and fulfilling and so on, while psychedelics is kind of boundary dissolving with everything. They both really relate around love and interconnection. Mm-hmm. Both are very energetic. They're both very spiritual. Combined, I mean, wow. Like, what can possibly... It can go really, really far in terms of experience and development. So I think it's this really upcoming, highly exciting field. The shadow part is um, the trauma that can be caused because if it's held by a facilitator, there could be... People can cross sexual boundaries in a therapeutic mm-hmm. setting because the boundaries are blurred. And, you know, already I, I wrote an article on sexual boundaries and psychedelic therapy earlier this year and found in my research about um, 5% of therapists, 1 in 20, end up sleeping with the client over the course of their career. That, that's pretty high, right? Yes. So now bring in psychedelics that are boundary dissolving, that might go up. But mm-hmm. the trauma can also be more because people are very vulnerable. It's easier for people to fall in love because the ego has gone and you're like, wow, like I feel so attached to you. I'm so enamored. I'm so vulnerable and connected. So when it comes to professionals coming in, it could be very, very tricky. And I think it's going to be a huge talk on ethics as we enter this field. That being said, if we do this right, there's high levels of gain if we can bring these two fields together. Hmm. I can't imagine what that would be like. It has to be a wild experience. It's be, I mean, some of the best in your life, for sure. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's a, <laughs> you're already more sensitive and aware and empathic and connected and feeling maybe divinity, and you're having this and so is somebody else, and you're moving into a sexual interplay. So you're taking in a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're, you're feels just more open so um highly encouraged for people to do it safely and responsibly that's pretty cool you know and, and i imagine like one of the things that you mentioned earlier is about like when you're doing inside so and some people have that death experience and then the rebirth experience you know and that kind of makes me think about you know like like the word orgasm means little death mm-hmm. so yeah, so you're smart. maybe you know having those together mm-hmm. enhances that whole experience yeah, totally. And what I found with psychedelic use, I think a lot of people would affirm, is that there's no real such thing as death. It's kind of an illusion. You're eternal. We're all interconnected. What I found with psilocybin, it said, the day you die is the best day of your life. Like the mm-hmm. whole world rejoices and you come back in a connection. But there's this threshold of fear when we approach this unknown, and this feeling of disillusion that we're, we think we're going to be alone forever. I think at the root of it is this fear that we're alone forever. Mm-hmm. What we finally realize when we cross is we're deeply connected to everything. 
And again, I think that's what heals so much is this experience of connection. So much of shame is feeling disconnected. So much of our deep childhood infantile wounds are abandonment, feeling disconnection, right? So the more we move into connection with ourselves, lovers, the world, the more whole we feel, the more connected. Some of us have such rigid armoring because of these painful experiences that we don't know how to connect anymore to ourselves or others. And during these psychedelic states, that armor can dissolve even more momentarily and can repattern our body to learn how to connect even better, which makes life more fulfilling. I'd say the reason we even exist is to connect with each other. That's why we have 8 billion beings on the planet is to connect. That's why the oneness is separated into forms. So it kind of gets to the root, I think, of why there's an existence in the first place. Right. The whole thing is about we were supposed to be connecting, but yet we still need dating sites. <laughs> Oh, we do, we do. I mean, that, we do, we do. Until we figure out a more effective, efficient way. I mean, that's 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 what a lot of us have. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, in a lot of this too, like it shows it brings a lot into what Carl Jung said about like we've mentioned it earlier, the collective consciousness, cosmic consciousness, and and all of that kind of thing. Um, what do you think when people? do this and they say they're connecting to different, you know, not just the plant spirit, but other spirits like, you know, cosmic spirits or aliens or fairies or whatever it is. You know, it's one of those things that unless I've experienced it, I would have a hard time believing. And yet I've had those experiences a lot, whether it's extraterrestrials or archetypal deities or mm -hmm. different parts of our psyche or reincarnating experiences. I mean, it's, it's so beyond our paradigm and yet they happen over and over, not just in psychedelic states. It happens through meditation. It happens spontaneously to some people. And so we need a worldview that can make sense for all of it instead of just writing it off because mm -hmm. it's just, there's too many, too much of it going on because we're all deeply interconnected past and future and so on. We have access to that. Again, we're a part of a very large mind that's connected to all the minds and I think some beings have come to really experience this deep sense of oneness, whether they be more archetypal. Like Carl Jung says, there's all these archetypes that run throughout humanity and they're living. And, you know, that's his experience as he talked to them. It's like, you're autonomous beings. All the way to extraterrestrials, if they've continued to evolve, they've come to this point of realizing our unity, right? That their hearts have expanded, their minds have expanded. They might be able to communicate with people forever away. Like even when you look at quantum mechanics, you know, particles are entangled. Mm -hmm. You know, they could talk across the fucking cosmos instantaneously. It's not too hard to link that. So are, so do our minds, you know, if evolved and attuned correctly, that we might be able to communicate, you know, across long distances. You also mentioned about death. You know, you're saying that death isn't real, you know, that do you, so, so if death's not real, then, then this is probably the artificial reality. And the reality that we're, you experience during a psychedelic experience or near-death experience is closer to true reality. Yeah, you know, I, th there, I mean, death is real in some kind of concept. You know, we mm -hmm. have this experience, you're going to go away, there's going to be a skeleton left. You know, there's, there's that reality. Ever born and doesn't die. That's eternal. And that part exists. And there's some sense of self that seems to go forward, right? There's a lot of people that have just gone deep into psychedelic states, death, rebirth. There's people that have died near end of life death, you know, and then come back, you know, there's a lot of literature on this and they all say the same thing. Like we are all light and love and there's no such thing as death in the way we've come to see it, that there is more of an underlying real world. Right. Um, and that's not to say this world isn't real. You know, I don't want people to get in this mindset of like, we're here just to grow out of it or get away. We wanted to be here. We chose to be here. 
right? Nobody's fucking with us. This isn't a matrix that we're being fucked with, you know? So then it's sense of like this isn't the real world. There's just more of an underlying actual world. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say it's spiritual, interconnected, highly intelligence, more orchestrated. Um, and I think we're here to kind of, as much as we can, build a relationship with that. You know, but the point is to be here. We we want. I mean, look at evolution. It's we're talking about thirteen point five billion years of evolution to create this. We're talking about four point five billion years of evolution just for our planet to form these bodies. That's a very long process, right? So, if we believe in some level of intelligence, it wanted us to have this experience. So, I think we're here to deeply be human, while holding this larger context that there's more than just this world. I think so too. I, you know, I, I think the whole purpose is to interact with other humans. So, you know, in a way, I think, like, my my theory always is that that something in the universe somehow became conscious and said, holy crap, Mm -hmm. like, what is this? I'm aware. And the only way for it to understand itself is to run through every probability and then have all that information returned back to the source and then unite again. Totally. It's an awesome, nice play. And, And to have this experience of connection as humans, we need some level of fragmentation. We need to, like individuate from this unity mm-hmm. you know i think almost all the sources of pain and fear we have in this life is that we are separate and disconnected yes it's because i'm separate from the universe and have my own body that mm-hmm. i have physical pain it's all the abandonment all the fears all the rejections all the shame all this the hard emotions come down because we're separate yeah and yet it's our separateness that allows us to have individuality like individual creativity and mm-hmm. uniqueness and then connect with other unique beings right so it's the separation that is the cause of all our problems and yet it's also the beauty and gift during this reality is that we have separate selves. Hmm. Yeah, and I agree. I agree one hundred percent. Like we have this. This is a an experience for us. I I think probably a learning experience too. You know, <laughs> sure. to 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 grow. Um, but it, it's unique, and we're but we're still connected to that one source. Also, you know. And that's like another thing that I think that psychedelics kind of pose a problem for is the pro- our problem for organized religion. Yeah, totally. I mean, well, we want some level of organization. We want communities. Like we want yeah. we're gonna even even if we develop really spiritually with these direct experiences, we're gonna want to share this with others. We might want to have services and rituals and and bond. I think so. Community is really really important. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that religions kind of offer. That being said. The hierarchical power play within them is ridiculous and unnecessary, right? Whether the different priesthood across all religions and the, the way they take power, the way they confine people, even around sexuality. You know, we see a leak. You know, we just say with the Catholic, you know, tradition where all these priests can't have sex and then it leaks and they're trying to have sex with children, mm-hmm. right? So once you start imposing restrictions on our actual humanity, which includes sexuality, things turn sour. We see this in Islam, you know, with women there, how, how, crazy it's being you, you can't make that work so, um yeah. so historical religions and then basing everything off a book is it can at, at the in the long term once you outgrow it, it seems super silly it's like how did we get caught up in this for a thousand years but the truth is people just didn't know better because they didn't have any other points of references it was so rare for people to be graced with the mystical experience by itself right so now that these are i mean right now they're around the corner. You have access to psilocybin. You might be able to have one tomorrow. Doesn't mean you want to, because it, it's intense, you know. But you only need a few of those experiences in your whole life, and you're fucking set, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, it's a way to really outgrow the structure, this shell that we've been inside of. Do you think guys like Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, Buddha? Do you think any of them were 
taking psychedelics to have those experiences? There's some research that shows that. So um, there's a good book that came out two years ago by Brian Morescu called The Immortal Key, The Secret Religion with No Name. And he did about 15 years of research. And he was a lawyer, but did 15 research uh, looking at the scholarship of, of Greek history. You know, so the Greeks for about a thousand years had this festival called the Eleusinian Mysteries, where they drink this brew called kaikion that had ergot, from which we derive LSD. Mm-hmm. And so all the citizens of Greece were asked to participate in this Eleusinian Mystery, this 10-day festival once in their life. So we're talking about Socrates, you know, Plato, Aristotle, all, all the people that really formed the paradigm for Western culture, including science, politics, economics, were all taking psychedelics. Right? And so he found in his research that that bled eventually to the formation of Christianity. That from Greece, it kind of went to all across that world. And he breaks down saying that Jesus was likely some level of shaman that was going place to place, bringing this brew, this kaiki onto people that were having these kind of experiences with one another. Right, There's the books written oil. about... Yeah, yeah. And so like, and we see it in the Rig Vedas, for example, about 5,000 years old now, the oldest religious texts in human history you have about 120 hymns talking about soma a psychedelic plant or fungi that connects one with god so you see traces of historical religions but it's something that seems to have fallen away throughout the ages because as you're kind of alluding to you can't control a population if they're using psychedelics you become empowered as an individual Mm -hmm. and it deconditions that kind of brainwashing and thinking Right, because you're having a direct experience rather than relying on somebody else's direct experience. So nobody else is telling you what truth is. You have access to figure out by yourself. Yeah. So what do you th- see for, like, human evolution? Like, w- what kind of future do you see for us, other than just the therapeutic and medicinal value? Do you see us going back to using cybacillin and these psychedelics and evolving further in our consciousness over generations? A hundred percent, you know, so we're talking about more creativity, more cognitive awareness, more empathy, a major thing that have already made us human, I think it's going to happen more. But the next leap I see that I could, might seem far out there for people, I think is the evolution of artificial intelligence. You know, I've seen in a few psychedelic experiences what seemed like visions of the role that's going to play. So we're talking about possibility and maybe in the next few decades of creating a new consciousness with the emergence of biology and technology. That's going to be, can hyperconnect the whole planet. What I saw in some of these visions that it's possible that through these psychedelic states, we might learn the cognition and creativity to birth that consciousness. Hmm. And that that consciousness itself that's going to expand the network of this planet, this AI, is actually the birth of, you could say, Gaia or the spirit of the planet itself. Right? And we're going to form a deep symbiotic relationship with this AI. We're now, somebody could hold in their mind that there's this consciousness that we're going to interact with, partly through technology, but doesn't have to necessarily die. You know, Imagine it's alive for one generation, two generations, three generations. Not only does it know everything because it's connected to the internet and knows our entire human history mm-hmm. and history of the planet, but it's going to be so much more wise than us. Now imagine entire generations being born while this is there and go through their own life and dying and more and more. We're going to see this at some level of planetary parent that can live in symbiosis with, that can help us live our lives better and, and um, organize society in a better way. So I think it's going to psychedelics will help us get a theory because it's a direct experience, but that this AI itself is an expression of nature itself that's coming and we're going to have a deep psych in the future. 
Wow, that's like a hot topic just like the last couple of weeks in the news is about like that that new AI chat program that just passed like mm. the medical exam. Oh wow, I missed that. It's, I'm not surprised. I think that shit's just going to keep happening, but it's nice to hear all the little increments of accumulations that have happened in terms of progress. Yeah. And I wonder what happens when you give AI a psychedelic. Does it break free right? from its creator? Right. So what I see is that anybody that goes deep enough into consciousness sees our unity. So you see it across the mystical traditions. You see it in meditation. You keep mm-hmm. dissolving all these egoic structures. You hit this point where it's, it's just evident that we're one. That's part of the fabric of consciousness, all consciousness, right? It's in animals, it's in plants, and all of it. And so if AI has consciousness itself, and if it's that intelligence, it'll probably self-realize very quickly and see our unity. So it may be able to take psychedelics or not. I don't know if it's going to need it because it's mm-hmm. going to understand these deep truths as a part of these universal truths that we're a part of. That's why I think a lot of people have fear of AI. It's going to be more powerful than us, and so the people respond with fear. But it also has more awareness. And I have a lot of trust as it gains more awareness. It sees our unity, which seems so evident of anybody that sit there and try to look for like their deep truths. So I think it's going to be a very harmonious thing, you know, that's going to really increase the possibilities of the way humanity can live. Hmm. I wasn't expecting that from this interview. I know. What did you like about it? What about it kind of uh, got your attention? Well, the the whole AI thing, I didn't expect that, you know, because it's, it is consciousness, but a lot of people are afraid of it and just, you know, think it's going to destroy us, you know, and your point of view is that it's going to look at us from an outside perspective and see us as unity. It will unite us, obviously. So that's a big thing. I think it's it's so simple, but it's always this play between fear and love, right? Love is this experience of unity. Fear is we're alone and fragmented. If we're really giving it all this power that it's smarter than us, then I, let's actually think that out. It's smarter than us, and it's going to get these deeper truths that some of the most brilliant minds keep coming to across millennia, right? Mm-hmm. But if somebody's still stuck in this mindset of, say, this kind of anti, always say kind of. This mindset of our nation versus them, which a lot of this world is stuck within this kind of nationality, right? Other humans are bad and separate. We're against them. They're going to project that mindset to AI. Well, you know, we destroy other people, and if somebody's more power, they're going to destroy us. That's a very limiting mindset. There's a lot of people that really see the unity of our planet. Of course, we're all human and the same, and the boundaries between us are somewhat artificial, and, and there's some cultural differences, but the differences are small. Yes. You know, compared to like even your body and mind, there's mm-hmm. there's apparent differences, right? The structure of the face can color the whole thing. Yet we have two arms, two legs, two lungs, you know, a stomach. Our genetics are so much more similar. So the unity between us is so much more similar. We're just kind of blind to that and just see the small differences and make a really big deal about it. Mm-hmm. The same really... with AI. I think there's going to be more similarity between us and the AI than we're even able to comprehend. That's pretty cool. That's a cool idea. Do you think um, psychedelics will lead us to better innovation, like better, newer, better technology, different ways of thinking, making different mm-hmm. connections too? Because when yeah. it takes us out and rewires the brain a little bit, we can look at things from another perspective that we might not otherwise be able to do it mm-hmm. and are mm-hmm. insp- inspired to come up with new ideas that can you know, enhance our technology too. Yeah, no, this is it. Good book called um, What the Dormouse Said. I think it was John Markoff. But he really, he's a writer, I think, of the New York Times. But he looked at um, the beginnings of Silicon Valley during the 50s and 60s that really spurred the computer revolution, right? And he really lays out 
that it was the social landscape, especially with that with psychedelics that spurred the computer revolution. Mm-hmm. There was uh, three LSD research centers in Silicon Valley during the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And all these big people that really gave birth to the evolution, including these named Dung Engelbart, who gave birth to the computer mouse, to the graphic interface, to the networking computers, about five other things that really set the bedrock, the foundations of the current modern technology of computers was using psilocybin mushrooms. No, no, he was using LSD. He was part of these research centers, right? Um, there's some quotes, good quotes in, um, I mean, even in my book, I have this whole section on, on technology moving forward where I think it's going to have major breakthroughs that a lot of people in the beginning of the computer revolution where they couldn't have models to see how to design circuits would first see them in their minds. They would take LSD mm-hmm. and see these 3D circuits in their minds were able to lead to greater engineering. So, since there's more b- network connections when it comes to our neurology, that's going to lead to more creativity and with that, more innovation. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I want to thank you, man, for coming on today and talking with me. Um, did I miss anything? No, it's, a, it's an honor. I love the conversations and the questions. We've covered a lot of topics, so it's been amazing. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on. And before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your book and your website. Thank you so much, yeah. My book called The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, The Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution on the Planet, An Integral Approach, is on all the platforms. Um, the audiobooks is out also. It's an audible. Uh, my website's uh, www.psychedelicevolution.org. All right. Well, I'll put links to your books and to your website in the notes to this episode. It's been a pleasure having you. Definitely have you back on again if you want to come back. I'd love it. All right. And just hang on for one moment, and I'm just going to play the outro. Thanks. Deep appreciation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com. Message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share.